tuned in to CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria for Coastal Voices every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. where we explore Indigenous issues all across Turtle Island. Um, we were very careful in our approach to the project, mm-hmm. uh, understanding that it's it's a sensitive, sensitive subject, understanding that, <clears throat> that um, even the question, even asking somebody if they're willing to talk about it can bring up a lot of, of mm-hmm. bad feelings, um, a lot of a lot of scary stuff. So we approached it very carefully. We tried to make sure that we did things not just in a respectful way, but in a way where we were making sure that we were um, that supports were available. Yeah. Just like at every stage of the process. Um, and the vast majority of the response has been positive. That's awesome. I was careful early on in my sort of, what would you call that, not philosophical approach, but my the way that I, I thought we should approach this from a, a, a personal perspective was to say, to not make, to not assign anything, any sort of meaning to the blanket, not have any sort of agenda that we were mm-hmm. trying to impress upon people, so that so that the blanket becomes a representation of everybody's story mm-hmm. and what they want it to say. So when they give us a piece, we take their take their story um, and we <coughs> record it so that, um, like for instance, we're, what we're looking at right here is... <coughs> a mock-up or a, a pattern piece for one of the panels mm-hmm. and I'm just starting to lay out the individual pieces there's going to be a framework that's the same on the same across the whole blanket to create a uniformity but then within that um, like your this space is what is that like two feet by two feet diamond shape all of the pieces will be moved and changed to fit uh, like, for instance, right here is going to be a pair of moccasins. This is going to be a brick. And I'm just working my way through pulling pieces from different boxes and trying to fit it together so that we've got... I've got a nice blend of materials and colors and, like, doing the artistic side of this thing. And then recording carefully where the piece came from, so where these moccasins came from, who gave them to us, what their story is, so that... When somebody goes to the virtual version of this blanket and highlights or clicks onto the this photograph mm-hmm. of the, these moccasins, they will be able to access all of that story, all of that yeah. information. So it's giving people an outlet to express whatever it is they have to express. If it's anger, if it's sadness, if it's pain, um, if it's defiance, all of those things that survivors um, have to say about their experience. And then the same goes across all of the different things that we've done. Because we're taking pieces from churches, they have a chance to say what they feel about the reconciliation process. For um, So this is like assembling these, I call them pieces of history, um, but we're also assembling the meaning, the context of them, the stories of them. And so I guess that that part of it makes it a little easier when we're going to somebody because we're we're not trying to tell them what to say. Yeah. We're just letting people put out whatever's in, inside of them. And I guess that makes it 
more therapeutic than anything for some people. I mean, it can be triggering, but it can also be good to talk about it and, and have, like, reconciliation behind it. I don't know if that's the right word, but... Our hope is certainly that, um, that that's the direction it goes, mm -hmm. but... Um, like I said, I try not to, to set any sort of narrative or agenda. Um, so saying that it's therapeutic would be setting an agenda. It's I, that's my hope is mm -hmm. that people who go who who take part in this find some sort of uh, positive benefit to mm -hmm. to doing it. People and and what I wanted to leave is a legacy. To, that that explains the truth of the situation mm -hmm. from all perspectives, so that and and I guess we we read we read articles, in the newspaper or stories. We hear things on the radio. We see uh, painted artworks. We see video or movie about this thing this time. And I think that the perspective that I'm trying to offer is when you look at these items with their age and you hear the story that directly relates to them for me it it's a it's a once once again a different perspective because for instance I have a doorknob a brass doorknob that was from a boy's residence <clears throat> and when I see the doorknob and I find out found out where it was from I start imagining all the hands that opened that doorknob every night right mm. we have a doorway for the infirmary that's going to be one of the panels on the blanket. And I think about all the people who went through that door mm. and what happened inside there. So it it offers something that's from that time and place to illustrate, for, for lack of a better mm -hmm. uh, word, exactly what uh, what's going on in the story that's supposed mm -hmm. to be. And being interactive and having the virtual access to that will be, I mean... It'll be really good for people who may not have any experience or any narrative around these objects. Yeah, and it puts it into, tries to explain it in a different context, right? Mm -hmm. um, we're also organizing that whole virtual thing into um, age-appropriate curriculum. Mm -hmm. So certain stories will be available for certain age groups, and mm -hmm. then as you go uh, further and further through until you get to high school or university, um, then the whole stories, all of those stories are available. Mm -hmm. But to to be able to have children see the brick and learn about the brick and think about the brick from oh from the idea of well, some children didn't get to stay with their parents, mm -hmm. right? Or you know what's appropriate to talk to a child about. Yeah, for sure. And then other things where we get deeper into the abuses or that sort of thing, then that would be for obviously for later on in, in the the process of mm -hmm. the or the curriculum but it's hopefully leaving uh, a resource a curriculum resource for mm. future generations to learn about what happened yeah and it's not really uh in existence like anywhere else any well, there, type of curriculum like that there is some um that's been being developed but mm -hmm. we've heard over and over again throughout the travels that we've been on that that it's it's lacking. There isn't mm -hmm. very much of it out there. Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> taking what we've gathered and organizing it to be used in that way, I think will be um, well, just another 
another benefit or another yeah. um, legacy piece for the... When did you start conceptualizing this project? And can you remember if there was like a moment that you came up with the idea or if it was like the culmination of events where it came into fruition and you're like, I have to do this? Yeah. Um, I first heard about the... It was through the Truth and Reconciliation Commemora Commemorations Initiative. Mm -hmm. And they put a call out like about three years ago now. And that's when I first read about it and started thinking about it. And I did come up with the idea, I guess, two and a half years ago. But it took me a good year to come to the decision that it's something that I wanted to take on and that I wanted to, well, try to take on, I guess, yeah. I had to mm -hmm. apply for it. Um, so I, and, and the very first idea was only pieces from residential schools. Mm -hmm. And then the, the idea grew because I was thinking of it from a perspective of reconciliation it needs to tell the whole story. We need pieces from the government buildings where decisions about how Aboriginals were treated were made. So mm -hmm. we have pieces from the from Parliament. I believe we've now confirmed that we're getting pieces from almost every province. So we're just waiting to hear on one provincial government and then we'll have commitments from every single province. We either have the pieces here or we're, they're on their way. Um, we're working on getting a piece of the Supreme Court. Hmm. Um, so those, for me, those represent the places where decisions about how Aboriginals were viewed were made. Mm -hmm. and, and so they were part of the early part where we were not treated well, and mm -hmm. they were also part of the changes that we see happening still today mm -hmm. um, that are gradually getting better and completely I mean <clears throat> you never say things are great but mm -hmm. but when you take we have in the other room um, the first an original first edition of the Indian Act and when you take what's in there and how savages are mm -hmm. described and you consider where we are today we've come a long ways Definitely. there's still there's still room for improvement but um, <clears throat> the Parliament was part of the first paper and part of the most recent paper, mm -hmm. right? So I guess that um, that for me, having all of those buildings have a purpose. The reason I want to have church pieces from the denominations of churches that were involved in residential schools is because they had a big, big role to play. Yeah. And they can also have a big role to play in relations going forward. Yeah. Um, so it's up to everybody who contributes how they want to make that, what, how, how they want to talk about what a, first off, what what their role was then, and second, what their role can be now. Yeah, going forward. That's good. I mean, have you had a good response from uh, the government and, I guess, different facets of parliament, or is it kind of like mixed? Um, it, we actually, it was, in some cases, it was a lot easier to, uh, uh, we got a lot better response than we expected. Like, for instance, we, it, it really didn't take us very long to get through uh, some commitments from the federal government, which I thought was going to be the hardest one. Mm -hmm. But then other places, provinces where I thought, well, they were, they're going to have a healthy view of what we're doing, were very, uh, very resistant. Mm -hmm. And it came down to us making sure that we were, 
we were not asking them to admit any wrong mm. because that's always the thing, right? Yeah. They don't want to put themselves in a situation where they're going to be held liable by participating. Yeah. And we're just saying, no, all we're looking for are pieces so that we can illustrate history. Mm -hmm. And so that's how we slow, slowly started started to get through those those barriers. Mm -hmm. um, and we had a lot of help from from like for instance the the provincial the BC provincial government helped us with making connections with other provincial governments other mm. there are the provincial counterparts so it's the particularly the last few weeks we've had a lot of good news on those that's awesome that's yeah. good to hear um, do you find this project has brought you closer to your own spirituality and culture and uh, and how and how have you seen that transform um, see, I would say that more than anything has tested it. I suppose that what I mean by that is <clears throat> as part of the story gathering you hear so many things um, <coughs> that I've always kind of known the generalized things mm -hmm. that happen but never the I've never had specific things told to me by specific people that it happened to. Mm -hmm. So that makes it much more real. Mm -hmm. um, that changes the changes how how a person can feel about things. Um, and so I found that the that my connection to culture ha it ha I have to um, continue to renew and keep it strong because it's the, really the, the only thing that can keep me healthy at this point mm. um, and I think it's uh, we've had similar experience with a lot of the people who are involved in this um, there's more there's so many things going on um, that we're encountering that we have to really be careful to keep looking after our our spirit. Mm. Yeah. Um, and it's funny to say because a lot of times people will, will feel guilty because feeling like run down or, or whatever from doing this work feels like a bit of a cop out when you consider the people who are telling the stories have been through the the real deal. Yeah. Um, but everybody involved in it has to look after themselves. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know I would say it was it's brought me closer to my culture, but it certainly made me focus on um, the importance of the spirituality part. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's helped me to see how much spirit can be carried in the pieces that we've collected. Mm -hmm. Some of them have an amazing amount of power or weight that, that travels with them. Mm -hmm. 
it's important work that you're doing here and uh, I'm grateful that you're doing it. It's really important to see artists put themselves uh, in a vulnerable state for the, the overall good of, of our nations. This is kind of a big question. Uh, what is the process for the creation of the witness blanket? <laughs> and now that I'm here, I can see there's a lot of different stuff going do on. Have, do you want to bring your recorder and we'll walk around a little bit and oh, show sure, you what sure. everybody's doing? You probably hear the tools in the background every once in a while. Yeah, that would be good. <laughs> so, um, this is Colin. Hi, Colin. Hi. Colin is um, cutting all the little pieces of cedar down to the design shapes that mm -hmm. that we've that I've laid out for the overall sh size and shape of the blanket. So we have everything from um, triangle squares, long, different different shapes, and we have boxes and we have pieces of cedar drying. So this is just the sort of in-house portion. Once they get cut down to size, they get sanded to a, an even more precise size. Then over here, <coughs> this is Teus, he's working on mounting the backs of the book boxes. The book boxes are going to house the Indian Act. So we have um, we have 34 books dating back to 1857, actually predates the Indian Act, that are going to go in these boxes and they're going to hang from the base of the blanket. Hmm. And you'll be able to see them, you won't be able to touch them because there'll be um, plexi in between. But I felt like it was important to have them there because they're kind of the foundation for everything that's happened. There's a ton of sanding that goes on in this in this place. <laughs> um, the next step after they're sanded is they need to be split in half. Um, so they get split in half and then one side goes on one side of the cables and the other side on the other side and they get um, screwed together to clamp Ooh. over top of the cable. Then I'll show you a, graphic of what we're working on. So that's in real size that will be 40 well 39 feet 3 inches from there to there. Um, when it's set up it'll come off the wall like that and go back. Oh cool. And you'll actually be able to walk see right here. Mm -hmm. That's a doorway. Yeah. And that doorway is going to be this door which is the door for the infirmary at St. Mike's. Oh my God! Yeah. How do you feel having? Uh, how do you feel having this in your space? Yeah, it's been it's been tough. I think that that's what I was talking about. The amount of spirit a piece can carry with it, it can carry some pretty heavy things. And I found that I've been sick a lot this year. And even though I'm really trying to stay healthy and I think it has to do with that. What we're doing coming up in about two weeks because we're we should have all the pieces here and we should have a lot of the um, assembly taken care of is we're having the entire team come here to do um, a cleansing. Hmm. And we're gonna brush everybody off and brush all of the pieces off 
and try to um, try to make sure that we have the that we're all properly centered for the for the the last little bit of putting yeah. everything together. Um, but per, me personally, how I how I deal with the um, with having them here is I talk to them. I literally talk to the to the pieces um, when I'm down here by myself mm -hmm. and explain what I'm doing. Yeah. Project what my what my intentions are, where my heart is, so that hopefully any <clears throat> any spirits that are with them can I don't know <clears throat> can at least understand that I'm not treating them without respect, right? Uh, I, should, I should finish up with by, by saying that the other part of the process was all the travel to collect all the oh, pieces. Oh, yeah. And it, there's also a lot of, <clears throat> the last part is going to be mounting. Like, we've got a lot of textile things, so they're going to go in shadow box frames. Yeah. Um, mounting things like skates or doorknobs or mm -hmm. crystal all onto the various parts of the blanket where they're going to fit. You see these big, the big squares again, that's where all those individual pieces are going to go. Mm -hmm. Photographs are going to go on the corners and those those dark areas <coughs> and documents that we have are going to go on them as well. Mm -hmm. And they'll be transferred like like the piece over there that you pointed out earlier. Where yeah. the, they're actually printed or transferred right to the surface of the wood. So those are, that's like the last part. There's a whole lot of sort of figuring out how to mount things. Um, there's a whole lot of that process of transferring the image, images, whether it's photograph or document, um, and that whole part about stringing the cables, because that's the the whole thing will be flexible. Because this is a cedar that we're talking about range, and like I think the the biggest one is uh, maybe two feet long, mm -hmm. um, and maybe ten inches wide is the widest that we're going to have. So. The rest of there, this with all the spacing between all of those pieces across 40 feet, uh, it's it's stainless steel cable that holds it all together. So there will be sort of movement. movement. Yeah, to like the a piece. blanket. Yeah. Um, is this different from your usual art? And uh... yeah, it's completely different. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, majority of what I do is pretty typical stuff, like totems or jewelry or masks or boxes or mm -hmm. drums, and so it's. Um, creating and designing something. The the biggest difference between what I normally do and this um, is that this will really have no none of my Aboriginal design on it. Mm -hmm. It's it's like uh, I'm assembling all these pieces, and I've made a lot of the decisions to do. I've made all the decisions to do with patterns mm -hmm. of the layout, and this is the pattern is based off of a quill belt. That I saw hmm. um, in my in the in this whole traveling process, but it's funny because I had already laid out this diamond pattern, um, and then I saw this quill belt that had the same, almost the exact same diamond pattern wow. combined with a with those squares, huh. a square pattern, and so I added the square pattern at that point, and I think that that so. It, the processes sort of influence it, but I'm not. Sh I'm not carving. I'm not sculpting. I'm not using my Aboriginal design skills. I'm coming at this from 
a completely different perspective mm -hmm. than, than I've ever come to. Yeah, this is a completely unique thing. I've stayed away from, I, I go back, to go back to your earlier question about how I came up with the idea, when I first started thinking of them, I was trying to think of a totem or mm -hmm. some sort of sculpture I could do that would, that could represent it. And every time I thought of something, it felt completely too small and too local. <coughs> it was too West Coast, for lack of a better term, too coagulous or Salish. But, so, <clears throat> part of the reason I've stayed away from any sort of, Aboriginal design content is because I want it to be universal. I don't mm -hmm. want it to be this piece that was made by a guy from the West Coast that really only represents the West Coast. I want it to be more about all of our people from across the whole country. So I want the piece to reflect all of how the variety of pieces that are on it. Therefore, I didn't want to put my own form line work to mm -hmm. work here. Where will this be? Like, where can you find the witness blanket? Have you decided? The first thing that's going to happen is it's going to go on tour. So we're working on exactly how that's going to take <laughs> place, but the first place it's going to be shown is at UBIC. There's a community engagement conference that's coming up in May, mm -hmm. and it will be unveiled there for the first time. Wow, I'm really looking forward to seeing that after, especially seeing all of this and all of the pieces that go to work and all the people that are participating in it. And um, watching the video of you know you guys traveling around and talking to different people in different territories and that really uh, stuck with me and the little pieces that you found in different places yeah it's really really important I think where can people find out more about this project and how to donate or help um they can first they can look at our website it's uh, www.witnessblanket.ca mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> or our Facebook or Twitter which are Witness Blanket on Facebook <laughs> at Witness Blanket on Twitter okay. then we, we're not at the point where we're accepting mm -hmm. any, any like financial donations but we're still at well I guess we're very near the end of our collection process for contributions of, of items or stories mm -hmm. um, we will however as we get into the tour, because it's not a funded, fully funded, uh, be looking for for people to help out and various sources of funding to, to make that as good of a tour that goes to as many places as we can. Ideally, I'd like it to go to the same place, same thing, all 13 provinces and territories, yeah. so that it goes back to where it came from. Yeah. Um, so that's what we're working towards, and hopefully we're, we'll, in some way or another, realize all of that. Yeah, I hope so too. Thank you for talking to me today. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Once again, that was Carrie Newman, the creator of The Witness Blanket. If you're interested in looking at The Witness Blanket, you can see it up at UVic First People's House in May. Also, you can follow Carrie on Twitter at Witness Blanket or on Facebook at Witness Blanket. Up next, I have an interview with an advocate for the UVic Native Students Union. I had a chance to catch up with uh, the student union advocate, Leah Grantham, and here is our chat.
Hello, Sasha. Good to be here. Okay, uh, how are you today? Doing pretty good. Just excited about everything that we're going to be planning in the next few weeks. You look up there at our calendar, you see we got a lot of exciting events for March. 26th of the month, we're going to be bringing in Leanne Simpson for a little lecture. She's going to be talking about her new book, Islands of Decolonial Love, One O'Clock in the First People's House. Now, I haven't read Islands of Decolonial Love yet. I'm, I'm a poor student like everybody <laughs> else, and I don't get band funding, so yeah. uh, I have to watch my resources, but mm-hmm. I'm pretty excited. She's mm-hmm. got a lot of promise, and uh, I've loved her previous work and I can't wait to see and get the inside knowledge about what went into uh, the ideas behind the book because you know love is uh, not a very talked about part of our lives as indigenous people and I think it deserves a little bit more of a shake at the tree. As the advocacy counselor my job is to kind of be the uh, outside person at UVic and the larger advocacy community. I sit on the UVSS advocacy council and uh, advocate for the native students union to uh, get funding for certain projects. That's how we got Leanne Simpson here through speaker series funding. And I also uh, liaison with other advocacy groups such as UVic Pride, Students of Color Collective, um, the Women's Center, and so on and so forth. And the larger goal of the Native Students Union ourselves is just to be a safe space for Indigenous students where they can come, hang out, have a space where they can just be themselves and not have to worry about being scrutinized by other classmates or teachers and just feel like they can be Indians in this space. What other events have you guys maybe done in the past or are doing in the future that uh, people could come take a look at? Well, the day after Leanne's uh, Spiebel lecture, we're going to have a literary intertribal night where she'll be doing poetry. That's 7 o'clock at the First People's House on the 27th of March. We're also going to be having our AGM coming up on April Fool's Day. (laughs) There's a lot to laugh about, but uh, we are hoping to get a lot of people out there because it's a chance to uh, run for council and just uh, have your opinion spoken about about how you want to see the NSU run and Mm -hmm. maybe take on a position. I hope I'll get reelected to my position, but I know we'll probably have a few open. And uh, events we've done in the past, there's Indigenous Resurgence Week. We had a lot of real fun planning that and getting that together. We had Mm -hmm. the feast. We had lectures by various uh, Indigenous intellectuals and uh, activists. Mm -hmm. I think my favorite would probably have been Sharon Ben's talk. That was fantastic, talking Mm -hmm. about the United Nations and UNDRIP and uh, just giving hope to future young Indigenous activists who want to see what they can do to uh, confront the colonial forces. That's awesome. It sounds like you're doing a lot of really good work here. Thank you. Where can people find out more about the Native Student Union and um, how can they reach you? The best way to reach us is to uh, email our office coordinator, Lisa. She can usually answer any questions, nsu at uvicnsu.ca. But I think the best way is to just come talk to us, mm-hmm. talk to council, and the best way to do that is to come to one of our meetings every Tuesday, 6 o'clock, NSU room sub B023. And that's in uh, the sub-building at UVic. Going forward, what does the Native Student Union hope to provide for the community and what is the ultimate goal from your standpoint? Well, like I said, we're a social space where people can come, hang out, do their homework, mm-hmm. uh, use our computers. We have free printing services for Indigenous students. We have a fridge where people can snore their snacks, and we mm-hmm. have a sink so you can uh, have a meal here. But uh, I also see it as an advocacy space. It's a place of education for Indigenous students to become self-empowered. Mm-hmm. It's a place where they can learn about uh, how to make themselves heard on campus. Mm-hmm. That's what we kind of hope to do with Indigenous Resurgence Week, is to resurge and show our presence, show that we're still here. Yeah. Not a lot of people like think of Indigenous students in their everyday lives if they're not Indigenous, but mm-hmm. we are here and we're a force to be reckoned with. Do you guys work very closely with the First People's House? Is that a Office of Indigenous Affairs, yes. 
Yes, okay. we have a continuing relationship with them, mm-hmm. and uh, we liaison with them regularly to talk about uh, stuff going on in the First People's House, to organize events that we want to take place in the ceremonial hall, mm-hmm. and if they have uh, little groups or organizations that need an Indigenous student presence, they will come to us, such as, uh, oh, there are so many acronyms, I can't remember them all, <laughs> but Aboriginal service plan or something like ASP. Mm. We have a representative on there and uh, we have regular talks with Ruth and Blaze and other people in-house. So we do have a continuing relationship with them and hope to keep maintaining it. Generally, our biggest event is Indigenous Resurgence Week, which usually takes place uh, February, March time. Rest of the year, we try to do other things to just keep the student presence, you know, alert to us and Mm -hmm. uh, try and help make an environment. But they're definitely going to be more Mm low-key. And if you have an event or an advocacy issue that you're interested in, you can come to one of our meetings and address that. Mm-hmm. We ju- are going to send two students to uh, NISA mm-hmm. in uh, it's May, and that's the Native American Indigenous Student Association Conference in Texas. Closing up, is there anything that you would like to put out there on behalf of the NSU? If you're an Indigenous student, you're Aboriginal, Métis, Inuit, or if you're like me, I'm an American Indian. Hey, yo, Blackfeet Nation of Montana <laughs> representing. Come visit us. Come yeah. visit our room in the Student Union Building. Visit our room in the First People's House. Like our page on Facebook. That's you, Vic Native Students Union, and keep up with events and uh, activities that are going to be going on on campus. We'd love to see you there. There's always a friendly face in here to welcome a new Indigenous face. Awesome. Thank you so much, Leah. It was great talking to you today. Always a pleasure, Sasha. Great. That's Leah from the Native Students Union at UVic. Thanks, Alea, from the Native Student Union for talking to us today. Once again, you can find them in the sub-building. Due to an announcement that the Government of Canada will be eliminating the Aboriginal Friendship Centre program's core funding, the funding has been received for over 40 years, and it will be in jeopardy April 1st, 2014. The lack of notice to changes for this long-term funding has severely debilitated many BC Friendship Centers to properly plan for the transition. With this recent announcement from the Government of Canada, Aboriginal people who have been depending on the services that Aboriginal Friendship Centers provide will be further marginalized. The majority of Aboriginal people are now living on urban areas, and the programming that they depend on for stability, safety, and cultural, cultural enrichment is now being threatened. Funding for high-risk Aboriginal youth will, also be, youth will also be eliminated. It is predicted we will see a rise in Aboriginal children taken into foster care, higher rates of suicide, and increased levels of child hunger. This move will also have an impact on the ability of urban Aboriginal people to participate in the economy. Friendship center, Centers in BC provide the largest network of Aboriginal social services agencies in British Columbia. Friendship Centers provide a wide range of programs and it supports to the urban Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal population. For over 40 years, with 25 agencies and over 1,000 employees across the province, BC Friendship Centers <coughs> provide integral support and programs to over 1,300 people per day. BC Friendship Centres are calling on the Canadian government to work with the National Association of Friendship Centres to ensure that funding for Friendship Centres is in place for April 2014. Coastal First Nations are calling on British Columbians to support their ban on oil tankers. International oil spill expert Rick Steiner will be speaking as part of a campaign called Oil Spill Truce to inform British Columbians about the truth of oil spills. For more information on this, you can go to www.oilspilltruths.com. Victims of the 60 Scoop are per- 
uh, perpetrated by the Manitoba government are coming forth to speak about their experiences being forced from their homes to be adopted. Ottawa reported that 20,000 20, Aboriginal children were removed from their homes in the 60s, 70s, and 1980s and adopted out to non-Aboriginal families and families in Europe. The victims of this are calling on some sort of calling for some sort of apology or reconciliation from the Manitoba government. The Manitoba government says they want to work with the victims to create programs to support them. Bill 4 has officially passed and BC parks are now officially open to pipelines and drilling. The bill was quietly introduced in mid-February and has already met significant resistance from the First Nations of British Columbia. Bill 4 claims it will allow for research to be carried out. However, in the past, mining company... In the past, mining company Tassitico carried out the research in controversial prosperity mine in the form of drilling 59 test pits with eight drill holes 50 to 75 meters in depth and 10 holes 250 meters in depth to collect samples. The research also included creation of 23.5 kilometers of exploratory trails. In the past, park use permits were only granted if they met the requirement of demonstrating that the proposed activity was necessary for the preservation or maintenance of the recreational values of the park involved. Bill 4 reads the Park Act of this safeguard. Canadian Parks and Wilderness Society and a group of other NGOs has, have already collected over 10,000 signatures in an effort to stop the, the implementation of this bill. You can sign the petition... <coughs> on the Canada Parks and Wilderness Society website. This Sunday at 3 p.m. at the Wilna Thomas Cultural Centre at Camosun College, there will be a gathering for two-spirit, trans, queer, lesbian, gay, gender-fluid, and in asexual Indigenous folks. This is an event that hopes to spark a series of events and create spaces for two-spirit people to speak about identity and Indigenous teachings, creating a safe space for us to be ourselves and make connections with other people within the community. While we are trying to create this space for two-spirit people, you are more than welcome to bring a friend, a partner, or family member along as well for support. Snacks and drinks will be provided, as well as bus tickets. Once again, this is at the Wilna Thomas Cultural Centre at the Lansdowne campus of Camosun in room 234. The building is wheelchair accessible and has an accessible washroom. A big thank you to the UVIC's Native Students Union, Victoria Sexual Assault Centre, and VIPIRG for their support for helping make this event happen. An international march for missing and murdered Indigenous women will take place tomorrow, March 27th. There are more than 800 Indigenous women who have gone missing or who have been murdered throughout the past 30 years, the most recent being the murder of Loretta Saunders, who is an honor student studying missing and murdering, murdered Indigenous women at St. Mary's University in Halifax, Nova Scotia. A call for an inquiry has gone unanswered by the federal government. Therefore, students, families, communities, universities, law schools, provincial legislatures, and other spheres of civil society will continue to push until an inquiry takes place. Please come out tomorrow and support a march for a federal inquiry. Supporting in putting this together would be greatly appreciated, and the march will begin at Centennial Square tomorrow at noon and then on to the provincial legislature. For more on these marches throughout the province and country, you can find it on Facebook. On 
Saturday, oh, no, sorry, Sunday, there's a workshop with Amanda La Liberté, who's a wonderful to- uh, Indigenous photographer. This is at Open Space Galleries downtown on Fort Street. The workshop will take place from 1 to 2.45 p.m., and it is in part of the Gifts from Our Ancestors workshop, or a- exhibition, rather, which is running from now until April 12th. This weekend, Unite to Stop the Pipelines spring training in Victoria. You can invite your friends and don't miss out. There's strategies for solidarity and action on the Coast Salish Territory. Saturday and Sunday, which is March 29th and 30th at the Bob Wright Hall at UVic. And Monday, March 31st at the Norway House. That's 1110 Hillside Avenue. And there are workshops and discussions. The kickoff is called Pancakes Not Pipelines. That's 8.30 a.m. A.M. Saturday at Bob Wright Hall, there's lunch, dinner, and breaks throughout the day. It goes all day. March 29th to 31st, you can meet the people on the front lines against the pipelines, people with the courage to go beyond protesting and petitioning, and we'll be sharing stories about how strategies for resistance and solidarity are winning. Discussions, skill shares, and networking, and it's all by donation. And Saturday's schedule is... A 9 a.m. welcome with August Thomas and One Moon Dancers. 10 a.m. security and counter surveillance with Gord Hill. 1 p.m. non-civil, non-violent civil disobedience with Shane Calder. 4 p.m. shaping conditions for grassroots revolt with Ambrose Williams. And 4 p.m. prison systems with Juliet Belmas. And there are more programming throughout the day. It's presented by Forest Action Network, and it is a safe space for people of all races, genders, nationalities, classes, and abilities of any kind. It is a zero-tolerance policy for verbal abuse and harassment of any kind. Thank you for VIPIRG, Unifor, and Occupy Vancouver for the support. Okay, that was A Tribe Called Red with Tanto's Revenge. Closing up, I just want to recap. We talked to Carrie Newman from The Witness Blanket, and you can find that interview on our SoundCloud later next week or on the CFUV webpage tomorrow. We spoke to the Native Students Union about their upcoming general meeting and the availability and accessibility to them on and off campus. And we spoke a little bit about the... First Nations Two-Spirit Gathering this Sunday at the Wilna Thomas Center. That's at 3 p.m. at the Wilna Thomas Center at Camosun College. Once again, thanks everybody for supporting me during Fun Drive. I really appreciate the support. Thank you for listening to Coastal Voices on CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Find us on web at cfuv.uvic.ca or on Twitter at CFUV.